Welcome to the Journey to the Stage podcast. I'm Brian Frazier. Our theme song is A Rise and Shine by my good friend from San Antonio, Chris Taylor. Chris is a very talented musical and visual artist, and you can check his work out at ChrisTaylorWorld.com. The goal of this podcast is to discover what has shaped the musicians that are shaping and making today's music. We will cover current and upcoming musical projects, but we always start at the beginning of the musician's journey. This is episode number two, and I am thrilled to have with me as my second guest, Jesse Green. Jesse is a multi-instrumentalist, a singer, songwriter, recording artist, touring musician for acts like Golden Spawn, Jayhawks, Food Fighters, and Pink, and many others that we'll talk about. So Jesse, welcome to Journey to the Stage. <laughs> Thanks for Thank joining you. me. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a real honor. And I think, as I mentioned in our um, communication beforehand, I, I've seen you perform live a few times. So I'd love to, we'll explore awesome. that. Yeah, as we go. So, you know, the, what we do in this podcast is, like I said, we start at the beginning. So take us oh back. Oh my goodness. Yeah, take us back to, to little Jesse's. Uh, <laughs> childhood home uh what kind of music were you hearing as a child what were your parents playing well talking back in different dimensions here um i was definitely classical it was Mm. a classical um a classical scene (laughs) i was i started at four on violin i was classically trained my brother my parents had me when they were a little bit on the older side so i had an older brother 14 years older Mm. so he was super good at the classical piano by the time I was born. Oh. And then, and then, so I would listen to his practicing, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, grew up with all the romantic classical, but also some of them are out there. My brother's really into Scriabin and he's amazing at it, but it's, it's, you know, it takes a good ear <laughs> to appreciate it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, very classical opera. That was really it. They weren't into anything I was into. Yeah. Like the Rolling Stones. I inherited all because my siblings were 10 years plus older. Yeah. I inherited these amazing records. Oh. So I was, you know, I mean, by the time that I could have my own little record player and, and put a record on it, I was, I, I, I exited the classical world <laughs> <laughs> and was listening to, um, you know, I had all the great, classic rock records. And of course I got into, you know, a lot of different stuff as I got older, but when I was really young, I did, I was exposed to some really great stuff. Very cool. Do you happen to remember the first album you bought on your own? Pink Floyd, the wall. Really? Nice. <laughs> yes. That was my first yeah. five that just the song, the wall. Um, nice. Yeah. And I think, awesome. I think we're about the same age. So my, my first actual album was, was back in black. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, that was one of my favorites as well. Were your parents musicians as well? Um, my father was a, a more of an artist, and he was also a lawyer. But he he loved. I think his his passion was art, nice. painter. And my my mother played viola when she was young. Wow. Um, but she she hadn't kept up on it. But she certainly remembered enough to torture me. <laughs> <laughs> So as you kind of developed your own taste, sounds like you moved more into the classic rock. Well, I was classically trained and it was, it, it, you know, I mean, I'm grateful for it now, of course, because yeah. I'm so grateful that I was tortured and had to go through all that when I was really young, because it yeah. definitely 
100% is an asset. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you, I wouldn't have known that. And I, I really didn't appreciate, appreciate it. But as soon as I could, I basically was like, I'm over the violin. I, tr- I, I did try classical guitar because that's all that they said I could do other than the violin. And that is even, that's so hard, classical guitar. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I had no idea how freaking hard the classical guitar was. So that didn't last very long. And then I picked up the electric guitar and started playing, you know, along to the music I liked, which yeah. was, you know, I mean, I was really into se- even the 70s soul music, but I was also got into like the early hair metal bands, Aerosmith, Southern Rock. I mean, I was all over the place. Nice. Um, took a like after the the classical guitar experiment really swerved away from anything classical mm-hmm. and you know I mean I still played violin until I kind of completely became a little bit of a derelict and dropout and did quit the violin and, and stuck to the rock and roll yeah and you know I was a rebel so that was <laughs> that was my <laughs> that was one of my things as you started playing like electric guitar and you know learning along with playing along with the bands that you loved how did your parents respond to that you know they, they did not like it no yeah. they didn't like it even when i was a little kid dancing to rolling stone my father would yell that's not music <laughs> <laughs> which made you love it all the more right yes, kind of what we yes. Do with, you know. i mean thankfully my brother was also kind of a rebel, even though he stuck with the classical training. He listened to, you know, when, when he was taking care of me as an infant, he said, uh, he used to listen to Jimi Hendrix and, and he thinks that's part of why I, I became the way I came, which is funny, but um, (laughs) I was exposed to other music through my siblings, but it was not, it was not respected by my parents. And when I got into it, oh my God, when I quit the violin, it was like the world was ending. Yeah. But it was, you know, I can't, I, I did actually really miss it. And I never got the concept that, you know, like I could play along with guitar to these songs, but there were so many great string parts yeah. that I could have broke out the violin and played along to. But it, because my classical training had warped my brain that I couldn't improvise, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, accepted to improvise on the right. violin. Well. So it was years later that I found it again. Well, and you realize how much great rock has string. We were just listening to the Moody Blues last night, mm. um, and the strings. My goodness, they're they're so I know, beautiful. I know. Um, it's so, so you, much a part of contemporary music. It is. It really is. So, so instrumentally. So you obviously you started on violin. You went to guitar. What what else do you play? I think you play cello too, right? I play cello. I started. So then I ended up packing my bags and heading to California. I knew mm-hmm. one person, I was like 18 <laughs> and I brought a guitar, but I got to, he- I got to LA and I started going to Santa Monica community college. And I oh. saw people on the grass jamming and I discovered the grateful dead. It was the end of their, their they were remnants of, of that scene, that kind yeah. of just really improvisational hippie mm-hmm. scene that was still in, in at Santa Monica at the time. So I started realizing, Oh my God, I missed the violin. I got another one. I got one and I started just to jam with nice. people. And I also at that time started the cello and I joined the orchestra, Santa Monica orchestra. So it's really cello, violin, 
guitar, keyboards. Those are my main jams. Wow, that's incredible. And vocals. And I love singing. I love using my voice in any yeah. way. <laughs> I that that was one of the great surprises in prepping for this. I didn't realize you were a singer as well. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that as we get into um, some of your more uh, recent offerings. So then, right around this time, is this when you started going to UCLA? So after Santa Monica, I made it for my high school delinquencies because I was almost a dropout in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up getting to UCLA basically based on I did an audition for ethnomusicology major, which was so awesome because yeah. it was everything but classical, which nice. I didn't want to do classical anymore. So I did. I found ethnomusicology is a study of culture focusing on music. So much of it was based on performance. So we had all these performance classes of all different cultures and all different styles of music. And I don't know if I would have graduated from college if I hadn't found that because it was so up my alley. And I met a band and I started touring with this band called Chalk Circle. And we played like college bars. And then we went on tour. We did Lollapalooza and (laughs) we played a lot with Stone Temple Pilots opening for them. So that was pretty awesome. That's really cool. And yeah. I, I didn't I didn't see that part in your bio. And so it's it was not in there. There's a lot of things. I I know I was thinking about this because I was going to talk to you today and I was like, wow, a lot of things that I forget. <laughs> well, yeah, that means part of our past and stuff. And so it was right. How did you get connected with uh, with Peter Himmelman then? Because This is a funny story. Okay. So when I first got to LA, I had no friends. I had one friend, but unfortunately she had it didn't, she had a lot of issues, but she was super awesome. And I didn't have anybody to hang out with. And so I would ride, I would like rollerblade on the, on the um, boardwalk and I would look for friends. And I met this guy who said, I played guitar and I play with this girl and she's going to be totally famous. You got to meet her. She's going to be awesome. She's, she's going to love you. Wow. So I went and I met her and we instantly loved each other. She played guitar. I played violin and sang and we, we did harmonies and duets and, and we played on, um, we bust on, on the beach. And this guy came up to me after a couple of times being out there. And he said, would you want to audition for this, you know, for a violin, <laughs> to be a violinist with this band? I said, sure. Wow. And so it was with Peter Himmelman. I went and met him in his backyard and I jammed with him and he was like, cool. You want to go on the road? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's really really what a great story. This almost sounds like a movie. I mean, it, it almost is. But I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, I did start before that. I I had been working in the studio. Like, it was a similar kind of situation. Honestly, it's so much just about connections. Like this mm-hmm. one guy that works and my friend's boyfriend. He worked in a clothing store. His brother was a singer, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to sing play on the song?" And I had never improvised like that before. Wow. But I thought sure I'll do it. And so I go to this crazy studio in downtown LA and it was like kind of weird, but the guys were super hippie and cool. And then mm-hmm. I played on this song and I didn't have, and it was like, probably was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing, but they <laughs> called me the studio itself called me back. And it was like this guy, Johnny rock and roll. He says, it's Johnny rock and roll. I want you to come play on my music. And he was this guy from Sir Douglas Quintet in the 60, from the 60s who lived in, in San Antonio, Texas, but he moved to LA and he was in this, um, he was into the uh, this whole different, you know, it was just such a cool scene. And I went and I did a lot of work for them and I jammed on all their music. And I was also going to UCLA for 
recording. I learned sound. That's when I started sound recording. So I had been doing stuff, but not like a tour. So that was awesome to go out with Peter Himmelman. Were you just in heaven? I mean, just because that's, I mean, there are two types of people in this world. Those that know Peter, his music and those who don't in my mind, because he's He's just such an incredible, I mean, it was, you know, I can still every now and then I I picture being just not even playing, but being on stage when he's singing and just the presence that he had and as that he has and the stories that he, I mean, it's, it was phenomenal. It was, it was, it was an intense time for me because I, I think that I had issues with the fact that I didn't feel like I was, you know, it's a lot, there was all, it was an all older band than me. And it was a little bit hard for me just emotionally, but it was so young. I was so young. It was such a great experience. It was such a great experience. And he's just such an amazing guy. No, that's great. I love that. And so from there, I know you at one point, was it maybe right around that or after that period of time where you joined Geraldine Fibber, which it was is after bra- that. It was after that brash and beautiful. I, I wasn't familiar um, with them. And I was like, oh, this is this is actually really, really interesting music. Yeah, I was so, actually but- playing with Rick Boston, Low Pop Suicide. That's a whole different thing. I was dating him at the time. And this woman would come to the shows and say, I want you to tour with my band. And she sent me her stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. But it sucked because I was at the time playing with my boyfriend. We were doing great gigs. It was super fun. And I had to make the decision. Do I join this band and give up on this band and probably this relationship? Or do you know, it was a tough choice. But um, but I ended up going with the Geraldine Fibbers and it was it was amazing. It was amazing. It was cow punk. I got to play the violin through a distortion pedal and a huge amp and um, a rap pedal. And, you know, it was just, and, and it was um, innovative. It was experimental. I got to improvise. I got to sing. And Carla, the lead, the lead of that band, was just an incredible powerhouse. Nice. Yeah, she's got quite a voice. And yeah. Well, and we, you know, somewhere out there, that guy you broke up with, he's he's still wandering around aimlessly. So he'll find himself one of these days. <laughs> no, I run into him every now and then. He's great. He's totally great. It's all good. That's it's awesome. all good. Yeah. How fun. And so how then did you go from that scene, that whole Santa Monica hippie scene to getting so tied into... Wasn't really Santa Monica at that time. At that time, for the Geraldine Fibbers, I had moved to Hollywood because they were out of Echo Park pretty oh, much. Yeah, yeah. And if you know anything about LA, it like, do, it's like you're in, okay. You're in different parts of the world when you mm-hmm. live on the West side versus the East side. Yes. 
So I was, yeah, it was a little different. That was my one time living in Hollywood for a few years. And then to... Well, then you went, yeah. So how the did Midwest. you so connect into the Minneapolis scene? Because that so was So it all happened. But what's really weird, it's really weird, is that I, I loved Los Angeles, but as a country girl from the East Coast, mm-hmm. I always felt a little removed in a sense from this. The, it's just a very superficial, mm-hmm. um, external existence here, which... It totally has its place. I'm not knocking it, but I sure. was thinking like it wasn't for me and I was looking for another place. And mm-hmm. when I played with Peter Hemmelman, he his whole band's from Minneapolis. I think he's actually originally from Minneapolis or he has a lot of roots there. Yeah, yeah. So I rehearsed there and I remember thinking, wow, this is a great city. I mm-hmm. loved Minneapolis. We sp- I spent a few weeks there and I loved it. Then years later with Geraldine Fibbers, we toured the US like, for years, eight months out of the year in a van, basically, mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time. I one my favorite. I loved Seventh Street, First Avenue, favorite oh. venues. Mm-hmm. Um, such a great music town, you know. Twin Cities, both of them, just incredible places, incredible people. And so I had already met a lot of some of these people, and then the Geraldine Fibbers opened for the Golden Smog, and that oh. was so. The Golden Smog is got you know guys from soul asylum mm-hmm. um jeff tweedy from wilco uh craig johnson uh run Westy run you know it was just like an incredible lineup of people yeah. and i ended up pretty much playing with all the bands <laughs> <laughs> so um and then i started dating greg johnson so i decided and then the geraldine fibbers got kind of crazy and i left that band mm-hmm. and moved to minneapolis wow so really so the the so Golden Smog was your entry point into that musical sphere. Is that yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, because actually 90s, I had yeah. I had played on a Wilco record, I think some some weird, I guess it was through that. I mean, I guess the time's a little, it's a little things overlap, but I did play on that being their Wilco record. Yeah, and I think you also played on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did on just, that. Uh, that was so 2003. Just, that was a little later. So we're talking like 97, I think I played on one of their records. Gotcha. The Fibbers were 95, 95, 96. Yeah. Well, the music scene in in Minneapolis during that period of time was just incredible. I mean, all the things yeah. you've listed, I mean, it was very, very vibrant. And so that's obviously where, probably where you met Gary, uh, Gary Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, you, I think you played on Sound of Lies. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You just couldn't be me. Sit down a skyline drive. You got me down on my Um, 
And then did you tour with him too? Yeah, we did tour. It was pretty awesome. Me and Craig, who were dating at the time, got to tour. We went around Europe together. We toured that whole record. It was really, it was just such a special time. Very, very cool. Nice. Now I, I am trying to think of where I've seen you perform. Did you, were you part of Golden Smog's Another Fine Day tour? Um, um, oh, the Fillmore. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I've so, definitely played there a few times. Yeah, I think I, I've seen you there with Golden Smog and the Jayhawks. I think you you were also at the Belly Up, right, for when they recorded the live album? Yes, yeah, I think so. I, <laughs> it's been I, a I long time. Yeah, I know it has. I can't believe I didn't meet you then because I had a chance to pretty much chat with everybody that night. But somehow I – or actually I didn't, I didn't get to meet uh, John Jackson that night either. So um, that was really fun. And – What's that like playing at the Fillmore, such a historic it's, place? I mean, those I just love the theaters. I love playing the theaters. It's it's really great. Mm-hmm. We did a lot, like I played a lot with Wilco at theater styles like yeah. that and, and Jayhawks. And every place has its kind of soul, you know? Yeah. And you really get to you get to feel that when you're in there in there making vibrations. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And especially for a place, you know, like the Fillmore, which through the 60s, the whole, you know, hippie rock era was just central um, yeah. to all of that whole movement. So then how do you go from that scene to touring with bands like Foo Fighters and like, how did that connection happen? Uh, let's see. How did that? Oh, okay. So I was living in Minneapolis and I started my own band. I released two records. I had a killer backing band. I got really into hip hop, really into atmosphere and the whole Rhyme Sayers collective. And now Dessa is awesome. I don't know if you know her, but she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And POS, I played on his stuff. So I was just hanging out playing with a bunch of cool people and and my friend Rami Jaffe who I'd been I've been friends with Rami since back in the Geraldine like the early 90s Mm -hmm. and he was with the Wallflowers and I was with the Geraldine Fibbers and we actually did stuff together I think it was actually I think I was when I was in the golden smog I played when we opened for the Wallflowers but either way got to be friends with Rami he came to town with the Foo Fighters when I was living in Minneapolis and I was working at the bars to supplement my income, which I also love being a waitress in a cocktail, which is, or a bartender. Yeah. And so I, I, I had the night off. It was like Halloween. And they said, he said, we're in town. We want to hang out. And I took them around all the bars and Dave, I think was super impressed that I knew all the bartenders and I, <laughs> we all got free drinks and he thought I was like the party queen of Minneapolis. Totally not true, but that's what it looked like at the moment. It would look good on a business card too. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I went, then the next day they opened for Bob or they played Cobell Co- with Bob Dylan as an acoustic version of the Foo Fighters. And I knew that I went to, col- I went to college at, at Santa Monica with their violin player, Petra Hayden. And I love oh, her. Wow. Nice. So I went to see them play and I was like, oh my God, it was so beautiful. I loved it. Now, you know, then a few months later I get a call and I saw the, and I was like, I just had this feeling like, oh, this is going to be an interesting call. And it was Rami saying, would you, there, you know, something about Petra's not going out with us anymore. Would you want to tour with the Foo Fighters? And I was like, uh, <laughs> let me check my schedule. I mean, yeah. I knew it was the life-changing call. I'll you get know? back to you. <laughs> so I practiced and I got all the parts and then I, they flew me to LA and I was like, okay, I'm ready to audition. And Dave's like, thanks for coming to join the band. 
And I was like, what? Wow. <clears throat> so yeah, so it was all new material and it was cello, which I had, you know, as I'd played for years, but I'm a, I am nowhere near on cello as I am on violin. I'm much more of a, um, of, I would call a feel player. Like I just, I don't know. I can't read cello music. I just, I play from my heart and from vibration, yeah. <laughs> which works yeah. really well in rock and roll, but just so happens that it worked. I mean, the parts nice. weren't difficult. <laughs> and, uh, so I was all of a sudden, like their single was on cello. Here I am playing cello. The first show is like, a hundred thousand people or something oh, you know <laughs> i know i was like so shaking but let me introduce you to miss jesse green that plays the strings and things over there jesse green! here's the thing everybody in this band can do a solo So I would have been yakking my lunch up. So what what was that like? I mean, for somebody like our listeners here who will never have that experience, what is that like? The moment you you've got your instrument in hand, you've got your bow, and you're walking out to a hundred thousand people. What is that like from just a human perspective? It is hard to, of course, put into words, but I think that for me because I had um, such a challenging adolescence in the sense that I, I lived very close to the edge <laughs> of, um, of experience. I was um, involved in some really, really, really crazy situations. That kicks in that sense of survival, mm -hmm. honestly, because it's like, it's a make it or break it moment. Like I could have completely lost my job or I could, thank God I became lifelong friends with those guys. So you know, it's those things of like, how is this going to go? And you pull from your past experiences. And I feel like it is the moment where time stops mm -hmm. and you're there. And it's, it's just what you, you know, it's just what's in your moment that matters. And it's pretty freaking awesome. I mean, I, I know I, it's so crazy because, you know, I've gone for now we've gone for what a year and a couple of months without performing because of COVID. Right, right. And and so just to have those recollections, it doesn't even feel real, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just like it, it's it's in the moment. That's what it is. Yeah. It's very, very in the moment. And you it just you, all your senses turn on and you are just, it's there. And yeah. I find it to be one of the most spectacular experiences of existence. <laughs> no, I can imagine. And I know when anytime I would play anywhere until I heard the first sound come from my guitar, I was always a little nervous, like, okay, 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 I can hear myself. And then, you know, how long did it take you to kind of get in the moment to feel loose, like to feel comfortable, to stretch out and do what you needed to do from a performance perspective? Or were you able to call that up right when you walked out? 
It really depends. I mean, the thing is, is you don't really have that much time in those situations. It's like, you're just on and you have to be on from the moment you step out there pretty much in that kind of situation. And being able to hear yourself is uh, not always a guarantee when you're playing violin and cello in a rock setting. So (laughs) really is just something where you have to just follow your heart. You know, you just have to, you go to your, your inner, your inner being. (laughs) (laughs) And, and from there, you know, it's going to be fine because that's what it is. It just is in the moment. And so much of live performance is not necessarily how good it is. It's the, the intention with which it comes. Right. Yeah. So we don't really can't define how something sounds good or bad. I mean, sometimes things are out of tune, but you can't tell because the performance is so great. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, but if you, if as a performer, you know, you're not trying to be self. It's it's letting go of the self awareness, I guess. No, I know what you mean. And I one thing I love about you as a performer is you really like your body movement. Everything is so connected to what you're playing. You're very phys, you're, there's a physical demonstration for what your instrument is doing. So it's which is really fun, and I I love that. Um, Yay! Yeah, <laughs> which is really really cool. I think that the, there's no doubt that our and I'm. I'm very into movement and I think that my playing is 100% improved by my relationship to my body. My breath, my breathing is mm-hmm. huge. It's so huge for performance yeah. breath work. And, and I do meditation and yoga, which I also find incredibly important. Like I've been doing this looping stuff and I find I often stand on one foot and I'm using my other foot to control the pedals and just this concept of balance and flow mm-hmm. is is really powerful. I can see that even live trying to manage your pedals like you said uh, and do all that and and be able to you know have your upper body being doing something a little bit different but to keep that all in sync with your breathing like you said I could that would be a little I think I just pulled a muscle thinking about that, but it's um, challenging. It is. It's challenging. But the thing is, is that that comes back again to that whole thing of, of the autopilot. I think you can go on when you're in a good place in your, in your inner being. (laughs) No. Well, and it would be something that would be easy to overthink. You know, so yes. like you let your instincts oh God, take I'm over. I'm such an overthinker too. <laughs> I am. I'm an, I'm such an overthinker. But for some reason, it seems to fade away in yeah. circumstances like being on stage. Well, yeah, that's because Thankfully. music music is such a part of you. So, so then, how did you then get connected with Pink? Because now, you know, you've got such vast styles, and, and, and we'll talk about your solo work here in a minute, which is very pop oriented. Foo Fighters obviously rock. That was your wheelhouse, right? Something that you were yeah. very comfortable in. Now you move into working with Pink, who's so much more pop. How did that connection start? And what was that experience like? As you toured, you've toured with her many times and spent yeah. extensive time on the road. Talk to us a little bit about that. So I was playing with the Foo Fighters. We were doing festivals in Europe and she was on the same stages. So I would run into her. Her band was awesome. That's when I met Eva Gardner, one of my favorite bass players and awesome people in the world. And so I hung out with them and I would hang out with them backstage and me and me and Pink got along and she was incredibly talented and just such a fun personality and 
I just really, really dug her. And then uh, it was after the Foos, we were actually, I was working with the Foos on, a new, on their next record, mm-hmm. but Dave wasn't, we, he wasn't sure about the music and he was starting to do them Crooked Vultures and which is side project. And then I got this offer where you tour with Pink and I felt like, oh no, what do I do? Yeah. Now I have another horrible decision. So I went to Dave and I said, Dave, got this opportunity. I really want to do it. Is there any way I can do it and still be a part of your project? <laughs> and he said, yeah, because I'm going out with this other band, just as long as you make sure you have in your contract, if I need you, you can come play shows. So I did have to that first tour, I did have to leave Pink for six shows in Europe and go play, but it was like VH1 story, that story, whatever. Uh, storytellers. Yeah. Storyteller. It was so in like uh, MTV music video um, awards in, in Europe. I mean, things that you just do not want to pass up yeah, anyway. Big stuff. Big stuff. <laughs> so thankfully it all worked out. I got to leave pink and go do those shows, go back on tour with her. So that was an amazing situation that happened, but um, it was all because it was just, once again, it's all relationships mm-hmm. and, and how you show up when you're there. That's true. Yeah. Now in touring with pink, I mean, I, from a production standpoint, I mean, there's, this is a pop stage with a lot of stuff going on. What was it like in terms of, it was hard. It was way harder. Yeah. Way harder for me because there are these really, you know, like the Foo Fighters, I got to basically, there was some parts, but I basically got to play my, come up with my own parts. And basically, I mean, of course there was some specific parts that you have to play, but you know, it was, there was, there was a lot of leeway. With Pink, it was definitely more studio, very high end, like Stevie Black, Blackie, who's a good friend of mine, who's an incredible string arranger and player. He does a lot of her strings in the studio mm-hmm. and they're really complicated <laughs> and like really <laughs> difficult. So, uh, and then also I had to do this, this solo piece with just violin and piano while dancer, while these da- the whole dance section and yikes it was i mean i I, and then the other thing i had to get out in front with her and play just all these it was just the bass player played cello i'm sorry bass player played uh eva played stand-up drummer played cello i played violin but it was just like a little quartet in the front of the stage i remember sweat used to just drip down my arm and my face i was yeah it was because it's because it was hard material and it was hearing was an issue always so it was like yeah, it was always like, oh no, are they gonna? I used to think like at the beginning, I was like, I think I might get fired. <laughs> I don't oh. know if I'm gonna make it. Yeah, I would like have really. It was really hard actually. The beginning, of course, you play the same thing every night. You're gonna be able to figure it out, and it's gonna be okay. But even like it took, it was an incredibly, it was an, it was very stressful for pretty much all of it to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so hard on myself and I want it to be really great. And of course. Uh, it's not just about performance. It's about playing and, yeah. and perfection and being freaking totally on. Cause a lot of it's playing to backing tracks as well, which you right. can't be out of tune. You have to be yeah. perfect. So yeah, it was challenging, but at the same time, it was so amazing. And so uh, such a great experience to, that to get sounds, through and not sure. get fired from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did it. So what it, what, What's it like? So, I mean, because you've toured extensively with her like, and spent mm-hmm. quite long stretches on the road. What What is that like from a personal perspective? What is the toll that that takes? Because I'm talking to other musicians. It, 
you know, being away from home and the familiar yeah, and these things? For me, it's different probably than other people. I'm not a breeder, so I don't have children, which I'm really happy about <laughs> um, for my life. But, but I mean, I totally respect people that have them and I can't believe people actually tour and have kids because it's, it was hard. It's, it's challenging. I'm going to say yeah. that it's challenging to leave your situation. It's hard to maintain a relationship that way, especially being a female. Mm -hmm. Um, guys don't like it when, you know, you're like later off for a half a year, (laughs) it doesn't (laughs) go so well, but, um, but my, my life has always been very, hasn't had a lot of givens, you know, like things have been, there's not a lot of security in my situation. There never has been. So I'm used to it Yeah, and I don't mind that I'm kind of a gypsy. Um, I have to say things kind of changed six years ago when I adopted a dog that I am in love with. Mm-hmm. And it is really hard. This last tour, when I, you know, we were gone a long time, seven, 2017, the end of that, 2018, a lot, 2019, a lot. But still, it was nothing like 2009. I was gone for 11 months out of the year. Wow. Yeah, we were like on tour for, so I didn't have a dog back then. And it was fine to be gone that much, actually. <laughs> but this time it was like, thank God we had more time off because, it, it was really hard to be, and I love where I live and I love my, like, I love what I do, which is just create music in my little crazy world and, and ride yeah. my bike to the beach and hang out with my dog and my friends. And I love <laughs> that life. Yeah. So it, this time was a little more challenging. I'll admit that. But at the same time, it's also incredible to go and travel around the world and to be with people. I mean, she is such a great human being, Alicia. Uh, who's pink. And she also attracts incredible human beings. Yeah. So the, I love the band. The band's amazing. I have like dear friends for life forever. Yeah. And um, the team, the, the crew, all incredibly awesome people. So it wasn't like you're out there on your own, you know, yeah, it's right. not like, you know, and everybody in some way has some struggle with being out there. You know, I mean, it's this, it, there's a duality. It's like, it's wonderful to be doing this amazing opportunity. And oh my God, I mean, you know, t- there's no complaints there, but at the same time, yeah, you have, it's hard to be out there for that yeah. long and, and to miss your, your home. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would imagine I get, I still get homesick if I'm gone too long. So I, I can understand. Yeah. Um. So let's move um, back a little bit because I want to talk about your solo work. We've talked a lot about what you've done with other bands and you touched on it a, on a little bit when you talked about your work with Rami, um, you, cause you've released some solo albums. Let's yeah. kind of back up a little bit and talk about what you've done as a solo artist. Awesome. So let's see. Yeah, I started on a four track, like in my late teens, uh, you know, an old four track recording tape recorder. And then it, it was really just, you know, I mean, I had pouring out my heart from my journals and my devastated childhood and all that stuff. <laughs> and I just kind of rode that one out for a while. And then I, I got it. I was interested in making beats. I got an MP, MPC 2000 and um, started making beats. And then what, the information that I learned at UCLA about recording, I started using that. So I was, you know, I was, I was working and playing around with, with recording and comp- composing for years. And then in Minneapolis, oh, yeah, it was in Minneapolis was really the first time I felt confident enough to put together a band. 
And I worked with Tommy Merkel, who's an amazing bass player, loop maker. He was in Run Westy Run and just such a great, wonderful human being. He really helped me with my first record, Blue Sky. Nice. And and yeah, he did a lot like the cool beats on um, on the song Blue Sky. And she said, the truth will set me free. The truth will set me And I worked with some other great producers on that, some local Minneapolis guys. And that is and a really, I have to say, that's a really fun album. You have a you. great, a great pop sensibility in your writing. Thanks. It's just a really, it's a fun listen. Um, I so appreciate I that. I, I really enjoy that. So yeah, <laughs> for anybody you. out there who's not, not familiar with that work, I know it's on Apple Music and Spotify, I think it's on Spotify and stuff. So, yeah, definitely is awesome. Out there. Thank you. And that was really fun. And so then I put together the guys, the um, High Respects is a local mini, mini, uh, Minnesota band, Twin Cities band, amazing hip hop artists and real drummer. I mean, when I saw them play and when this, I walked up to him afterwards, like, would you ever play with me? Because there's something about the hip hop rhythm that I, I love rock music and I love mm -hmm. pop music, but I always felt like I like simplicity with drums. I like, when things are more clean cut and not so loud <laughs> because I play violin <laughs> and sing and I have, a, yes. you know, like whatever. And I love the hip hop sensibility and just the, you know, small kit and simple, but driving sound. And I went up to the drummer and I said, Hey, you're awesome. Would you ever play with me? He goes, yeah, but I'm in high school. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, whenever, Ask your like mom. someday. <laughs> so anyways, they ended up that, you know, he, he, he did, graduate and he I think we even started sooner than that but anyways he his band high respects became my band basically my backing band and they were just so incredible Sean oh, McPherson fun. on bass yeah they were so great so we made demon and her lovers we recorded in that some cool mm -hmm. studios around Minneapolis it was super fun and yeah and I loved it been always searching for meaning and purpose in life and I think that I remember that CD release party being like, I cannot remember the freaking place I played in Minneapolis, but it's a big bar and it was mm -hmm. sold out and I had a great, it was like, I felt, oh my God, this is so awesome. But I still felt a little bit like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like it was weird because it was not long after that, I got the call to play with the Foo Fighters. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it was just like, I kind of like 2007, I released that record, but I kind of didn't really, I kind of, at that point, my, that pop career or whatever it was kind of, I just felt like, oh, it's not really probably for me in the long term. I love that I made the music and I love the music, but I'm on this journey and it's just, it's continually rolling right. onward. Right. So I was, I really love that record. I'm glad I made it. And then I started touring with the Foos and I kind of didn't really push my stuff. I could have pushed my stuff way more being out there and whatever, but I just, I don't know. I just kind of was like, okay, I'm, I'm moving on to this now. I'm going to be a session player for now. And then I'm just going to keep it rolling 
down the journey of creation. <laughs> well, so fun. that was pretty exciting. Yeah, it was yeah. really exciting. I'm very and, grateful for that time and that, you know, the opportunities and the people that I worked with was really amazing. Well, yeah. And you've got two really, really great albums to point back to and be <laughs> proud of. Um, and your voice, you have, there's kind of a sultry feel to your voice. Um, I was really surprised by that because I've only seen you play instruments. So very, very nicely done. And um, I'm Thank sure you. I, I would be very proud of those albums that, um, that you've made. So I know you're working on some stuff today. What What is going on musically today so for you? Since then, I've been, because I've been playing, me and Rami tour together, well, we toured together for years with the Foos, and then um, we just uh, have been living in the same town. So I see him a lot, and we've been playing and working. We had a, a small side project band called Songs for Pirates. We released some songs. Mm -hmm. And so me and Rami have been doing this ambient music that I just, it's so fun and I really love it. And, and of course we know that music is so incredibly affecting. Like it's, 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 I don't know what life would be out like without our songs and our music that, that has defined us. Right. Um, So there's that. And then there's these other ways of using music to, um, well, yeah, and in the pieces you're writing, like so they're eight minutes plus because you're I really know. trying to give people some room to stretch out. And I, you know, there is something very powerful about music. You know, my boys will tease me sometimes. I'll, you know, you can kind of get lost in a piece and your eyes closed, you're just in the moment. And my boys know not to, you've got to let dad have this thing. Cause if they say, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold up my fingers, hold on a second, let me just finish this movement right here. Um, so there is That's something sweet. really, really powerful. And, you know, I've heard it said, and you maybe have heard this too, that that music is the closest we have to time travel in mm. a sense, because, you know, yes. if you hear something like, you know, you go back, you know, even for you to go back and hear maybe those classical pieces that you heard as a kid, like, whoa, it could instantly put you back in your living room for, for good or for, or for not. Absolutely. Um, so it is, it is a really, really, what a what a what a great gift music is. Yeah. So so last question for you, and I'm kind of sad we're coming to our end here. <laughs> How can people best support you and the work that you're doing? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to answer that. Um, I don't well, you've really... got your website, right? I mean, I have my find... website, jessiegreenmusic.com. I have, oh, you can uh, follow me on Spotify, which I just kind of am getting into now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wrote a song with Dave Grohl and it's, so it's got, I couldn't believe how many listens I get because of that, which oh. is so exciting. What's I know. the name of the song? I haven't heard it yet. Um, if I Were Me. Whisper all your secrets Tell me all your lies Screaming your confessions Show me where you hide Long your roots are lying
with. So I know um, you've got a lot on your webpage. And so, as you mentioned, that's just, there's a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of new stuff on my website and yeah, Jesse green. Um, I think you can get there through either jessegreen.com or jessegreenmusic.com. And yeah, I have a lot of new stuff coming. That's getting, I'm getting, I'm ready to release. I'm just, I'm definitely better with creating and playing live than I am with getting my own stuff out there. So I'm trying to figure that part out right now. Not <laughs> I have a couple. I know I have a couple of these um, ambient records that I'm, that needs that are ready to go. And um, yeah, so that's exciting now. It is. Yeah. It's really exciting. That's really um, cool. So yeah, so there'll be a lot more information coming in the future and you can find it on my website, which has links to all my, my socials as well. Nice. And so for those not familiar, it's Jesse with a Y and, and green with an E on the end. So it's jessegreen.com uh, or jessegreenmusic.com. You're right. They, they, I checked. They both do go to the same place. And you also Yay! have presence Technology on YouTube. Works. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, all with instagram.com slash jessegreen. Same with facebook.com um, slash jessegreen. And YouTube is the same. So you've done a really good job at, at keeping your name protected. So nice job. <laughs> Thanks. Good yeah. to know because I wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I have absolutely enjoyed our time together. Thank you. You very, too. Very much thank for you so much. Me. That was really wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you to our listeners to, yes. for joining us for our brand new podcast. Remember, the best way to support an artist is to buy their work and to see them live. So please follow and subscribe so you don't miss future podcasts as we walk with musicians and songwriters on their journey to the stage.